Welcome to MCSO Behind the Badge, an inside look at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office in Rochester, New York, under the leadership of Sheriff Todd Baxter. We're going to talk about what drives us, our leadership culture, our police work, and share some stories of the great deputies and civilian staff that work with us. We're going to talk with interesting guests, and we're going to invite you to engage in the conversation or just sit back, relax, and listen in. Now let's get in pursuit of today's show. Welcome back, everyone, to Behind the Badge with MCSO. I am MCSO's Communications Director, Amy Young. I am joined by my co-host and my partner in the Communications Office, Sergeant Matt Batone, and we have a great show lined up for you today, although we're trying to fill uh, some pretty big shoes, uh, size 13, Sheriff Baxter's shoes, so hopefully my little size 7s can can fill that role today. Uh, I really need to interject and ask, why do you know what size <laughs> shoes the sheriff? I checked before this uh, podcast. <laughs> so you you knew that that was going to be I, said? I knew I had big shoes to fill today. You know, I I know a lot about that man. Uh, I've, I met him on day number one of the police academy uh, over 14 and a half years ago. And it was something I did not know, is well, that he is a size 13 shoe. Found that out minutes before the show. Okay, well, hey, uh, we do have big shoes to fill. I guess we are correct on that. My 12s won't fill in either. So, Besides the shoes, we are going to be talking about transparency in policing today. And we have three great guests lined up. Uh, we'll introduce our first to my left, Lieutenant Rick Bancroft with the Monroe County Sheriff's Office. Welcome, Lieutenant. Good morning. Thanks to be here. And we also have Gary Craig uh, with the Democrat and Chronicle newspaper in town and a great former colleague of mine as I worked in the television media. Welcome to the show, Gary. Thanks for having me, Amy and everybody. And then a little bit later on the show, we're going to welcome by phone MCC criminal justice professor Adrian Smalls, and he is a former Rochester police officer as well. So we can't get uh, wait to get into the great conversation about transparency in policing and just want to say we're going to have some fun on this show. We like to tell a little bit about our personalities, too. Really, the purpose of the show is to get behind the badge, talk about the great men and women that work, make up the Monroe County Sheriff's Office and, and our guests as well and everybody's role in the community and, and some of your personal life as well, whatever you're comfortable sharing. So um, without further ado, we want to talk today and really dig into transparency and policing and, and why that's important and, and the key here to really strengthening our relationships with the public and with the media um, to really lift the lid. I know that's our goal here since uh, the sheriff brought me out of the TV and onto uh, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office is to lift the lid really off the Monroe County Sheriff's Office and tell about the great men and women that work here, tell about our great programs, and also be as transparent as we can without compromising an investigation during a critical incident. So we'll um, jump in anytime you want, Sergeant, but one of our roles in the communications office has been to answer the media inquiries, which is our tool or our, our driver to the public. And we we have great relations with them, or we try to build those every day and, and strengthen those. One of the things we've asked our staff, our lieutenants and our sergeants, when uh, Sergeant Batone and myself have gone home for the day, is to keep that open line of communication going after hours, on weekends sure. and holidays, right? We also have to go home to families and, and sleep at night. So we that does not mean the Monroe County Sheriff's Office shuts down. So what we've tasked our sergeants and lieutenants with is um, keeping that line of communication open when we cannot. And uh, we drive our media partners to a media 
line that works after hours, and they are able to get information from great people like the lieutenant here um, when we're not able to share that information. And, and Lieutenant Bancroft's been a great example of somebody who sends those media blasts, right, Rick, out in the middle of the night or in the morning or on a holiday or a weekend um, in our absence. So. so I guess it's one of those things like <clears throat> I guess we'll start off with we'll explain a little bit as to how the process works for our agency. Again, every agency is different. Um, you know, we can really only speak about our agency. Obviously, RPD, uh, the Rochester Police Department, probably gets a lot of inquiries too. The way that they do it might be a little bit different uh, for than our agency, and also all of the town and villages uh, police departments are also a little bit different. But the way that we do it and the way that it was set up when I came here about a year ago is we have one general email address, and we've sent that out to our media partners. We've asked them to please use that. And so myself and Amy will answer Monday through Friday from eight in the morning until five at night. After that, um, we ask that uh, that our media partners then uh, call a specific number. That number, uh, when Amy took over as the communications director almost three years ago, was we need to find a phone number that rings in this agency and is going to be answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So that was kind of hard. It's like, well, what phone number do we give? So what we found was central control in the jail uh, is staffed 24-7, 365. So uh, we got a hold of the jail bureau and said, can you help us out with this? Of course, uh, they hopped on board. And uh you know, and and that's how we do that. So what will happen is if it's after hours, they call that phone number and um, they'll then go and take a message. And, and what we've asked is try to get as much info as you can. What town is it in? You know, because I've been on the receiving end of those phone calls and it's, it's hard to say, um, well, you know, I'm calling about a car accident. Okay. Well, we're the sheriff's office in uh, in a large county with roughly 750,000 people and, uh, you know, with a commuting pu uh, public that is over a million people during the day, where did it happen? You know, that's one of those big things. So uh, when the when the jail deputy will call out to um, one of the road bosses and say, you know, hey, we have an inquiry. Okay, well, are we calling A zone, B zone, or C zone? Um, so that's kind of where, you know, we've kind of tried to ask people to narrow that down a little bit. And obviously, Lieutenant, you're the one of the ones that fields those calls. Uh, you're now assigned to our B-Zone afternoon, but uh, you've been a midnight fighter. I think we call those night fighters for, uh, for a number of years. I did that uh, for seven years before finally my body just said, midnights, you, you need to get off of that. You need to find what it's like to sleep at night. But uh, so, Lieutenant, can you... If someone uh, gets an inquiry in the middle of the night, can you talk to us about what it is that you're doing on the other end uh, when you receive that phone call from one of our media partners? Well, it depends on the kind of incident I'm dealing with at the time. Uh, I have to make sure the scene is safe. Everybody that is responding can respond safely and do what they have to do on the road. Once we have that stabilized, uh, I can give attention to those inquiries, and sometimes they can happen pretty quick. Sometimes that might take a few minutes before I can get to that. Uh, but once I get to a stable point where I can step away for a few minutes and make that call or send that email, I'll take a quick size up. A car accident's a good example where I will uh, push out a media blast advising people of where we are, what roads are closed, is anybody seriously injured. And I have to be careful that I don't give out too much information in case the person's family doesn't, hasn't heard of it yet. So I have to be careful with what I say. That's a great point, actually. Um, but we want to get into a little bit about why this is important. If your agency isn't doing this, I think in, in policing in 2020, 
I'd have to say you're behind the times. Um, there might have been, and, and Gary, maybe you can talk to this, a time when uh, police agencies in general were not as transparent. You might have heard the line, I don't want to compromise the investigation or things. And how has that improved through the years, in your opinion, as a journalist in this town? Well, I think as, as with a lot of things these days, social media drives a lot. I mean, if you're a police agency, Agreed. somebody's <laughs> out there tweeting the scene. Yeah, pretty quickly usually. Yes. And so the, the the public is often finding out about it through social media in some ways. And, and, and you know, oftentimes we in the media are somewhat behind the curve in that way. Sometimes we see about it on social media if we haven't heard it over the scanner or something. That's really been the game changer, if you would agree with it, me. It really as, has. As a jur- you know. former journalist and as the communications director, if you are not playing on social media, I'd have to say your agency is pretty antiquated at this point. Exactly. I mean, Twitter, you know, maybe I'm highlighting Twitter just because I'm more active there on others. I still haven't quite gotten into Instagram yet. I'm, I'm old. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but it's so true. I mean, that's where the news is going first these days. And, yes, and, you know, and then there's you know, the citizens who are out there who, like using a car accident as an example, you know, come upon the scene and, and they'll start taking photos on their iPhone and they'll send it out over their Twitter or their Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then Firewire picks it up. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yes, Monroe County Firewire. Exactly, yes. Quick to and, the scene here. <laughs> and so you know, we, in, we in the media, I mean, I would, you know, that's how sometimes we hear about it. And and I, I, you know, hopefully we're, we're usually polite and sort of pressing for information. But sometimes, you know, I know we've seen stuff on Twitter from citizens who are out and about and are trying to get quick answers. Understanding, I mean, I, I think for the most part, knowing so many of the, you know, the reporters in this town, I think for the most part we're understanding that, that your folks can't answer us immediately for whatever the reason. Either, as you said, you've got to respond to what's there first on the ground. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, if there's serious injuries or fatalities, obviously the families need to note first. But yes, social media, as you said, Amy, it's truly been a game changer with everything. Gary, get into a little bit about it, your background. For those of uh, folks that are listening that don't sure. know you, I've known you for a long time, my entire career when I came yeah. here and yeah. was on what was then our news. Mm-hmm. It's had several name changes through the years back in 1992 as a cub reporter. You were the one of the first friendly faces that I was um, glad to befriend and oh. certainly have high respect for you in the field oh, as a you. fellow journalist. And vice versa. Um, I... Um, I mean, I, I, I came here in 1990. I had worked in Northern Virginia before and, and joined what was then the Times Union, you know, which is no longer with us. Right. I've, I've killed three newspapers in my <laughs> life. <laughs> What's the common thread here, exactly. Gary? <laughs> the DNC is just waiting for... Uh, and, Careful. Um, exactly. Yeah, watch what I say. <laughs> but... Uh, but and yeah, and and I actually started doing politics and government. I really wasn't I was doing city hall and politics stuff and column stuff. And it wasn't really. And, and I always had an interest in criminal justice. I'd done a lot of that in my previous place. And probably mid '90s, I took on more of that role. Uh, well, really, you and I were talking early about '94 case, the, the disappearance of Kaylee Ann Poulton in '94. Yeah, I did a lot of the coverage then. And that's just. I mean, it's really. Of course, our, our media landscape has changed throughout the years, but my, my role has sort of generally been criminal justice, crime stuff. Watchdog agents. Watching, yeah, sort of, in, you know, investigative stuff. I, I'm weird, and maybe again, this showing my age, and <laughs> that I, you know, we talk about investigative reporters, but to me, that should almost be a redundancy. Like every reporter, there, there should be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're doing the job, you should have an investigative yeah, element to it. That's a given, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, so, yeah, so that's, and I've just uh, somehow hung, hung on for. My God, uh, 30 years this year. Wow, congratulations, uh, I'll say to that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Hang we'll on a little see longer See if I survive the pandemic, but we'll see. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, uh, joining us on the phone, I want to bring in our third guest, as I understand, is MCC Professor of Criminal Justice, Adrian Smalls. Welcome to the program. 
Thank you for having me, guys. Can you guys hear me? We sure can, and we're glad you could join us by phone today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, before we get into the topic of the day, which is transparency in policing. Yeah, no problem. Um, thanks for having me, guys. I am a retired uh, Rochester Police officer, uh, retired in 2008 um, while I was working uh, with RPD, had several great positions, road patrol, midnight, and I truly understand about how your body can give out for midnight. I, I, did, midnight. <laughs> <laughs> I did midnight for six, year, six years in the Genesee section, so I truly understand something about that. Um, I had a stint um, working undercover, uh, worked at the police academy, firearms instructor. Um, I was one of the, we had an early training on ethics, um, and I was one of the early trainers uh, in, in discussing ethics issues within, uh, during in-service, um, which is always tough when you're trying to talk to police officers about issues that are sometimes uncomfortable. Um, and then I spent the majority of my career doing background investigations and recruiting. And so I was the lead recruiter for RPD for many years. Um, uh, we had class sizes uh, anywhere between 40 and 60 uh, officers. Uh, did background on, on those folks that I recruited. Um, helped write some of the documents that they still use um, in, in their background investigation packages. So, um, and then I retired and, and started uh, teaching criminal justice courses at MCC. And since I've been there, I had a wonderful experience with so many students. Um, I, I'm still connected with uh, RPD in that we have a uh, intern program for our criminal justice students awesome. to work with um, the police department. Uh, so I'm, I'm still connected. They, they won't let me out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you are. So how, I want to talk a little bit about expectations from everybody's perspective. How has the expectation, Adrienne, about transparency and policing changed in the past 30 years from when you were really boots on the ground, a street cop, compared to today? I, I believe law enforcement, and, and I'm only going to address local law enforcement. I can't address anything nationally. I Again, my ties are with RPD, uh, the Sheriff's Department, Gates, Ron Coit, and, and knowing those leaders. Um, over the last 30 years, uh, I believe the leadership has bent over backwards to try to get this right, to try to allow people to know why we're doing it and when we're doing it. Uh, in a timely manner in which doesn't hinder investigation. Right. Um, our, our chiefs of police, and, and again, I, I probably worked for ooh, maybe eight chiefs, um, and I saw a progression. Um, you know, I, I came in back in the 80s with the Erlacher regime, and, uh, you know, I've had some great bosses with, you know, Chief Alexander and, 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 and Bob Duffy, and, and the list goes on and on. But each one of them brought the public, um, they, they gained the trust of the public by, by having meetings, by talking to certain communities. And I saw that being, um, being done. Now, you know, and, and I talk to my students about this all the time, you know, can the leadership 
share their same vision with the road patrol officer because that's where, you know, that's the first contact for our community. And so how has that been able, how is that communication from the top down then and are the officers buying into what their chiefs are hoping that they can buy into? So this is the, the issue about this whole thing about transparency. I mean, by the time it gets to the chief, by the time it gets to the sheriff, something has definitely went wrong. It has to be addressed by that first line sergeant, by that lieutenant, by that by that captain before it even gets to um, the upper management. Very true. Um, you know, in when we talk about transparency in law enforcement, you know, when I first started 14 years ago, and obviously, uh, you know, Adrian and, and Lieutenant, you've been uh, on a little bit longer than I have, is that it was always, we see the media and you don't talk. It was always, you know, no comment, right? <laughs> Gary that and was, I are smiling, yeah, by the way. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's just the way that it was. And, well, we don't need to tell them anything. We'll do a press release, you know, three days down the road. Well, especially, and that was before uh, 14 years ago. I'm sure Facebook was around. I don't know the exact date of when it started, but it wasn't what it is today. Sure. And, um, you know, and now in my current position as a public information officer, I really learned that developing those relationships and getting that out there, if you think about using the media as a conduit for our agency to get that message out there, if, if Amy and I and the sheriff and the undersheriff and our command staff are trying to do that but not use the media, we're not going to get that message out there. Yet, um, if we have something that we want to talk about or there's some sort of a long-term story, we can reach out to people like Gary Craig at the DNC and say, Gary, this is what we would like to talk about. This is what we would like to have you write an article about and then offer him or you know another reporter access into our agency and what a great way to put that story out there. And again, something that I'd never heard of. <laughs> so a year ago, I, and I make this joke that a year ago, um, I went from worrying about a platoon on B-Zone 3rd <laughs> platoon out in Henrietta on a Friday to Monday being the public information officer and, and the way that it really opens your eyes and the way that you have to look at things. But, uh, you know, why not use the media to our advantage, right? There is, we're an agency of 1,200 people. And just this morning, I was having great conversations with uh, one of our road patrol crime prevention officers, uh, the chief of our um, court bureau about an issue and, um, and just trying to solve that for a member of our community to try to help them out. We do great things every day in this organization that if we don't tell our own story, who is going to tell that for us, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where we can use the media. We can use um, our not only our written uh, media partners, but also our TV media partners to get out those messages, to let the public know we are doing great things in this community. You know, And here's the thing. When we highlight those great things, if something bad happens, we also have to step up and, and inform the public we made a mistake. Each one of us underneath this uniform is a human being. Right, and every human being makes a mistake, and we have to accept those mistakes, and we have to put that out there too. And we expect people like the guy that's sitting next to me to my left, <laughs> Gary Craig, to call us out on that. Mm -hmm. If we do something, we expect that you're going to call us and you're going to say, "Hey, I need to know about this." But then we also expect on the other side, when when we hear of doing something great, that that's going to be reported mm -hmm. too, because 
that's only that's only fair, right? I and, like to yep. say it's a two way street. Right? Trust is a two way street, and Correct. it doesn't work one way or the other. Yeah. We have to own it when we when we have to own it, and uh, we also like to celebrate, as Sergeant Batone mm-hmm. has said, uh, the great people in our agency as well as the great programs. And if Correct. we keep the lid on it, nobody knows. We may know very well yeah. what we do day in and day out, right? But if we don't share what we do, uh, there's no way to build that trust. And, and just, I mean, talking about if. If bad things happen, I, I sometimes talk to, to local like crisis management, you know, and communications, you know, classes and things like that. And 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 one thing I often preach is, if something did go awry, it's best to put everything out there that you can that you can. I mean, I think we in the media understand that there, there's things you're going to be limited in what you can say, but it's best to put as much of the story out there. You know, this is this is what went wrong, this is why, and this is how we hope to rectify it at the beginning, because otherwise it just you know, we just keep pulling at threads and what could have been a one or two day story, you know, but keeps continuing, continuing, continuing. And I'm always telling folks, you know, at these sort of communications classes that if you're, you know, this, these are folks who are going into PR and they're, you know, taking a crisis communication classes, you know, like everything else, honesty is the best approach. And just, you know, if you have one of those moments where you feel like you've got a, you know, something went awry, put as much of the story as you can at front, at, up front. To and, quote the sheriff, uh, he likes to say, you're going to be the story, so you might as well be the story and tell the narrative the way you'd like it told and, and with truth exactly. and honesty. So uh, the story's not going away. <laughs> and, and courage. I think you can add courage to that as well. Because it takes point. courage to, to, own your, <clears throat> to own your oops. Absolutely. Yeah, very true. What um, expectations, Gary, have do you expect of law enforcement agencies and others in the community that you hold accountable? And how have you seen those change in the, in the 30 years um, that you've been? Yeah. I mean, I think, and you were, you were just speaking to it. I mean, I think, you know, just, just delivering the story, good, bad, indifferent, you know, just as, as truthfully and factually as as you can up front. Um, I mean, I'm always, again, I, I, I sort of, like I was talking about the investigative reporter, the way I don't. I, I'm also a lot of reporters like to say, "Oh, I, I'm in search of truth." I, I, I'm actually sort of in search of facts. I mean, if, if the facts, yep. you know, if they come, become building blocks toward the truth, great. But but uh, but everybody sort of has their own truth, especially these days, it seems. Sure. Uh, but yeah, but during the years, it's. I, I think there definitely, as you were saying, I think there's definitely been sort of more transparency, more more understanding of of what we and in, in the media you know, kind of need to do our job and to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, more willingness. I mean, you know that that changes sometimes, obviously depending on you know the people. But uh, but for the most part, I think I think everybody sort of understands sort of each other's role in this these days. And you know that wasn't always the case. Professor Smalls, uh, given the opportunity that you have at your fingertips now to encourage young people, um, what perspective do you bring to the conversation, especially given the current culture and climate that we're living in? This is a great opportunity. Well, you know, my students. Uh, I've been what, teaching for 12 years, so um, I've had um, a lot of years to be around young people and find that even my students who want to get involved with law enforcement, they have no idea of the complexity of the job, the laws, the policies, and, you know, going back to the topic there about the full transparency, you know, there are so many people in the in the public that are not educated as it relates to what law enforcement can or cannot do. And I see this with my students year in and year out with them wanting to go into law school or wanting to become a police officer. And the conversations that we have 
surrounding topics like use of force, probable cause, stop and frisk, and then our intricate court system, they have no idea of of any of these things. And that's what the public, they don't have an idea. They don't understand the use of force continuum. They don't understand what, prob- what makes up probable cause. Can an officer stop and frisk? And why a frisk? Why is a frisk a search? And so mm-hmm. all of these issues end up stemming to larger issues in our community, which leads for this this distrust because our public doesn't know what we know. Correct. So, you know, we need to do a better job during these non-crisis times, like right now. This this is things have kind of calmed down. This is one of non-crisis times. We should spend this opportunity to start educating. Now. We have a forum for it. You know, the, the law enforcement and the media are in better shape, right? And I so agree. Spend, spend the time to now educate our community about these issues so that when the next major event happens, because unfortunately it's law enforcement, unfortunately it's, it's people committing crimes, there, there will be a next time. We'll be in a better position to it. Maybe we won't get all 5,000 protesters. Maybe we might actually, uh, you know, under- educate, you know, 200 of them to understand why something happened, you know. And so I find this with my students year in and year out, and it's some really brutal and, and, and deep conversation about the why to what police officers do. So, exactly. Um, you know, in, in a yeah. lot in a lot of what we talk about, too, is, you know, we're talking about transparency and policing. And when we say that, normally we're thinking about uh, educating the public. Well, there's different avenues to educating the public. And, Lieutenant, maybe you can speak a little bit about this. Um, I found in, as a sergeant, as a first-line supervisor, one of the jobs that we have is uh, fielding complaints against deputies. <laughs> right? Quite. And, and even, you know, obviously... Before you became a lieutenant, you were a sergeant with our agency, so that was one of your jobs. And even now as a lieutenant, um, as a watch commander, it is a part of your job still to this day is to field complaints from citizens. And can you talk about a little bit about our complaint process? But also, in in my personal experience, a lot of complaints were resolved by education and that transparency. And as Professor Smalls was just saying about explaining why it is what we do and why we do certain things because of rules, general orders, policies, stuff like that. You talk a little bit about our complaint policy and also um, something that we've started with our body-worn cameras and how that might be evolving. Well, the body-worn cameras have only certified, I think, the process we've already had all along. We have honest deputies, honest officers, sergeants and lieutenants all the way up the sheriff's office, uh, RPD as well, hire good people. The background process serves its purpose, right? But like you said, we're human. We all have bad days, myself included. I was uh, the subject of a complaint a couple of, a couple of years ago uh, for having a bad day, and I spoke to somebody in a way I shouldn't have. And uh, that complaint brought me in the process. And speaking from personal experience through that process back when I was a deputy, uh, I learned the process is fair, and it's designed to hear both sides of the story. You've got the citizen side, and you've got the officer side, and you have... Uh, the administrator in the middle, making sure everything happens uh, correctly and fairly. So here at the sheriff's office, we have a uh, general order that governs the complaint process. 
and anybody can do so at any time. Uh, most of the time, those complaints will go down to the zone captain or the, the captain of that division, and then uh, potentially it could go down to the sergeant even to uh, talk to the uh, deputy and hear what happened and talk to the citizen and hear what happened. And as you said with education, from my experience as a sergeant, the vast majority of the complaints that I handled as a sergeant on my deputies were resolved exactly in that way. The citizen just didn't understand the officer's perspective. And if I took the time in that call to let the, let the citizen vent, as they say, let their feelings get out, understand their perspective, and then communicate to them, hey, I heard you. Here's what I hear you saying. And that puts them at ease. I've built some trust. And then in that, in that moment, I have an opportunity to then, okay, here's how the officer perceived the situation. Here's why he unholstered his weapon. Here's why he took a tone of voice. And explain some concepts of, you know, supremacy of action, deal with the, what you know, what you don't know, those kinds of things that we teach in the academy. And then citizen, vast majority of times, oh, okay, thanks. And in those rare instances where the deputy may have been wrong or took a wrong tone of voice, all the citizen wanted was for me to be aware of it and just tell the deputy, hey, be better next time. Nobody was looking for a pound of flesh or an ounce of blood. They just wanted to be fair and be heard. And I was... Um, Glad to be a part of that process when I was a sergeant. And I was a lieutenant. I don't get very many complaints on a sergeant. It's very, very rare these days. But uh, it happens once in a while, but the process is the same. I hear the citizen, and I hear the sergeant. Kirk, because uh, we had one complaint when I was out on uh, B-Zone Afternoons where um, there was an interaction between one of our deputies and a um, group of teenage uh, males over at one of the local establishments in Henrietta. And so I was speaking with the mother of uh, one of the teens and she actually came up with the idea she goes I want my son to be educated I want him to grow up and I want him to understand why this interaction took place so she actually had the idea of can we all sit down so it was the mother myself the deputy and the uh, young man that was involved in the interaction with law enforcement and we sat down uh, one day over at our office, and we had about a half hour to 45-minute conversation. And I will tell you, we, uh, the deputy expressed, kind of went through from the beginning, the 911 call, um, why it was that she responded the way that she responded. The young man had his opportunity to explain back why he felt the way he felt. The mother had um, a chance to express her point of view. I, as the supervisor, had my chance to to explain, you know, some rules and regulations and general orders and um, kind of the way that we operate. And I will tell you, after 45 minutes, what a great experience it was. And we all walked away with a new perspective. And that word perspective is huge when we talk about um, interactions with uh, with citizens. And you know, like uh, like Professor Small said. It's, it's education, it's the perspective, it's getting that knowledge out there and using our media partners sometimes, you know, during these slow times. And, you know, Amy, I think that's a conversation you and I need to have offline is how do we do this? How is the sheriff's office? Do we get some of these, you know, as, as Professor Smalls was saying, uh, he was talking about stop and frisk. We, you know, we also talk about the different levels of DeBoer and, you know, those are uh, obviously court cases that, you know, been around <laughs> forever and, um, you know, all, all sorts of those cases that we could talk about and explain to the public why it is, uh, what a, what a level one, um, or level one of DeBoer is level two, level three, level four. And maybe people don't 
understand that. And if they did and we were able to put that out there, they could say, okay, well, I understand now. I understand why the officer came up and talked to me. We've talked about opening up those lines of communications, Correct. and I know the sheriff's done a great job of um, opening new dialogues with existing faith leaders and um, partners in our community to keep those conversations going. Um, is very important to encouraging this transparency in policing. Uh, Lieutenant, we, we tasked you with um, answering, or being a PIO, if you will, uh, during the off hours. What makes you nervous about that? And, and you are one of our best. You put out great media blasts in the off hours. But other than getting something wrong, perhaps, what makes you nervous about that? Well, the fact that I, uh, <laughs> I'm reaching out and touching a lot of people in the community that I serve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, it's like being on camera, but without the video aspect of it. Right. I have to be very cognizant that what I'm putting out, the media is going to gobble it up. <laughs> and words and are some, powerful, right? <laughs> and sometimes I'm on Twitter quoted within like three minutes. Oh, yeah, it's fast. Gary can talk to that. Oh, yes, it's, it's very true. I mean, I, uh, there's some reporters out there, I don't know when they sleep, because it does seem <laughs> like, you know, there'll be a press release that comes over from you guys or from another agency or, or any other entity. And it's like, it seems like it's on Twitter before I've even finished reading the darn thing sometimes. I, I, there's some people that are just incredibly quick with the social media pulling the trigger on that, so... Well, it's this time in our program, and boy, the time goes quick. <laughs> um, I feel like we... we need to learn a little bit about some of our guests, dig into who you are, but there's no better way than to just fire off these questions. We have a segment that the sheriff likes to call the no Miranda zone. Uh, you don't have a right to remain silent, and anything you say will be held against you. Did I do okay there, Sergeant? Can, can, I, can I object? <laughs> exactly. Uh, cannot so object. So normally it's a little bit better when the sheriff says it because the sheriff, he says, I am the sheriff, and you this will be held against you. Yeah, uh, it doesn't work the same. Yeah, correct. He, uh, he obviously says that in jest, but... Uh, <laughs> you know, we like to end the podcast with a little bit of fun, a little bit of humor. So, uh, I'm going to fire off the first question. It's right. going to be to the professor who's still on the line, I hope. Professor Smalls, yes, name am. one song that you dislike the minute you hear it start playing. Wow. Um, <laughs> my my daughter sings this song, and I don't know the name of it, but it's it says something about shut up and dance with me. And I don't, I think it could be the name of the song. I hate that song. I'm like, I mean, ladies, that is so rude. Like, shut up and dance with me. I'm like, she's really, a, she's too aggressive for me. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it would be that one. Yeah, That's a good answer. Same question to you, Gary. I, I was hoping you wouldn't come to me with that because... Uh, Anything Barry Manilow, right? <laughs> well, no, that, yeah, that, that, that's a good answer. Um, I, I, I'm weird when I have incredibly eclectic taste and I, like, I can like ultimately like almost any kind of music. I know right. there's... Man, Manilow would be... Yeah, that, that, that would be tough. Uh, but yeah, I don't really have... I, I haven't heard the song the professor's mentioning, but I, I already I dislike it. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm along with that one. <laughs> so. And I got to be fair. Same question. Oh, Lieutenant I'm easy. The Jenny song, eight six seven five three zero nine. Oh yeah. I can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, mine is going to have to be not just a specific song, but uh, it would be uh, Taylor Swift. Anything Taylor Swift. And really? just shake wow. it off, Matt. Just shake I know, it off. But <laughs> <laughs> and, and my wife tells me all the time, she goes, well, you just have something against female country singers. I go, no, no, that is that is not it. There's a lot of them that I like. It's just anything Taylor Swift I just can't do. Um, all right, so the next one is going to be, and uh, Lieutenant, we'll start with you, favorite candy bar. 
Uh, <laughs> before a peanut allergy developed, it was Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> I was going to say okay, that. Okay, well, that's <laughs> that's good to know. Uh, I guess I'm still in search of a new one. I think Almond Joy would probably be my next favorite. There you go. And uh, Professor? Oh, Three Musketeers. No. No, I got to fight you on that one. <laughs> and uh, Gary? Uh, Snickers. Snickers. Oh, that's all right, all right. I'll take that. And Amy? Mine's an odd one, but my family knows how to make up to me. A Cadbury fruit and nut bar, everything's good again. You just said fruit. Well, it's got raisins in it. Oh, all right. Try it sometime. It's it's the bomb. All right, we'll see. Mine is, uh, I'm going to answer this one because it's a little bit of a strange one, a whatchamacallit bar. Oh, yes. I remember those. I remember those. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you go. That's that's from my childhood. It goes back a little ways, but I'm telling you. I could eat an entire box of those, and I don't have the world's biggest sweet tooth. But um, Well, we're going to end it on the whatchamacallit. I think that's a great way to end the program. I want to thank our three guests, Lieutenant Rick Bancroft, Gary Craig from the Democrat and Chronicle, and MCC criminal justice professor Adrian Smalls. Uh, keep the transparency in policing. And we also got to give ooh, ooh, props to... <laughs> Court Deputy Sanders Tisdale, who's the man behind the mixer today. Uh, thank uh, you, Tiz, on a short short notice, uh, but we're always glad to have you. Thank you, and the sheriff will be back next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of MCSO Behind the Badge. In between episodes, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Monroe Sheriff NY. Until next week, be safe.